Listen, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to, to open up to, to John chapter 15 this morning. And um, I want to just name a dilemma that most of us are thinking about and is on our minds today as we get things started. And sometimes when you name your fears and name the dilemma, it, um, it just puts everyone at ease. And so um, this morning... I mean, really, one of the biggest questions, you know, is who cooks on Mom's Day, right? And uh, USA Today actually did a little poll and found out the following. 9% of people responded this way, that each guest brings something, okay? 19% said that the mom's spouse cooked. So way to go, dads, chipping in there, helping out. 34% of the people responded said that mom cooked with the help from family, Okay. The largest percentage, 38%, mom. <laughs> mom just cooks on, on Mother's Day, I guess, for a large portion of America. Um, we just want to acknowledge that, um, it's, I mean, it's risky, really, to not have you help cook in some families. Um, but I think uh, De Anza, Mission, West Valley, they all have some, uh, some courses right now that for next year, just take a basic culinary course, how not to kill your family while cooking. I mean, I don't know what the titles are specifically, but they'd probably help. So um, anyway, moms, we love you. And I know in our house, um, everyone in our house is allowed to get sick, except for my wife. Um, she can't go down, because if she goes down, everything else falls apart. John 15 is where we are at this morning. And if you have your, uh, your bulletin, you can pull out the little notes like this and kind of help follow along. I've put a lot of scripture in there this morning that you will need to see. I want to talk to you... Um, this morning about some different things. John chapter 15 really covers, uh, the whole chapter talks about how believers are supposed to relate to one another. So relationships are always a hot topic for people and, um, and, and it's on people's minds. Last week, Ben shared with us from the first part of John and really that was talking about how a believer is to relate to Jesus. And in short, it's abide in me. This morning, we're going to look at 12 to 17, and in this little sliver of Scripture, what we're going to look at is Jesus talking about specifically, how am I to relate to other believers? That means if you're a member of this church, if you're a regular part of this church family, there are specific things told to us, instructed to us from Scripture about how we're to get along, about how we're to function, about how we are to relate to one another. The last part of the chapter, which we'll look at next week, is how we're to relate to the world. Now, I want to show you something really interesting. Um, this next graphic should ring a bell for you if you come to church here often. That's kind of our play button. That's this idea of the fact that we as a church are here to make disciples. If you go to this church regularly, this should look familiar to you. There's a certain progression to becoming a disciple. And if you see how Jesus is talking here, he talks about relating to himself. He talks about relating to other Christians. And then he talks about relating to the world. We've termed it this way, worship, community, and share. And if you come to Neighborhood Bible Church, those are the three things you will hear over and over and over again. We figured we couldn't do 27 things well, but the scripture is really clear on at least these three things. So we've put them to the very top of the list. Today, if you're in John 15, look at verse 12. And again, we're just going to cover 12 to 17 this morning. And 12 to 17 is a little bit like a love one another sandwich. He starts in 12. My command is this. Here it is. Love each other as I have loved you. 
So he starts off this little chunk of scripture with love each other. Look down at verse 17. What's it say? This is my command. Love each other. Some of your verses may say love one another, right? But he starts off what we're going to look at this morning and ends what we're going to look at this morning with this command to love one another. Now, we're not going to go into this today because we spent a lot of time on it. But if you were to write in your notes, see John 13, 38, you would see that Jesus commands us to love in a variety of places. And um, those of you who were here that Sunday may have remembered me talking a little bit about how it feels a little weird to be commanded to love. Like, isn't that counterintuitive? I have to just feel it. I have to know if I fall in love or not. But remember talking about a fireman in a burning building? They don't necessarily feel like it or have much emotion to it. Remember talking about, about Julie and Jamie and, and helping their baby children at 2 a.m.? There's not a lot of emotion there that says, I feel like loving. It's an act of the will to love. So Jesus commanding us to love, while it may seem counterintuitive because of a lot of media stuff that we're fed, it's actually a choice we make whether or not we're going to love someone. Sometimes, oftentimes, emotion follows and catches up. But so many times, I know at 2 a.m., Julie, it's an act of will to get up and love Milan at that point in time. So we're not going to dive into that, but I just want to throw that out to you. The context of what Jesus is talking about, he had just played janitor Jesus, where he had washed the disciples' feet. In a few hours, Jesus was about to fulfill another command. Jesus commands us to love. I command you, love one another. That's what he's telling his disciples. He was commanded by the Father to love his own to the very end, and that meant the cross. And in just a few hours, Jesus was going to fulfill the Father's command to love. So we're just in this lineage. We're being just like Jesus by obeying this command to love. Love well. That's what I've called this morning. And I want you to look at this fire hydrant for a second. I don't know how often you consider a fire hydrant. If you're like me, it's never. I just really don't think about them very often. Maybe if my house burns down one day, I will notice them some more. But right now, I just don't pay much attention to them. Right now, I want you to look on the screen and look at this little guy for a second. And um, I want you to think about a couple of things. We're going to kind of take this idea of a fire hydrant. I want you to think of things a little bit differently. I want you to think about people as fire hydrants this morning, okay? A little bit of a stretch, but he's got arms, a cool hat. He kind of, you can kind of make it out, okay? So fire hydrants are people, all right? Um, the second kind of player in this is, is Jesus, and Jesus is the fireman. And if you think about fire hydrants as people, they're fairly common. You don't notice them. They're all over. They kind of come in different shapes and sizes. Firemen come along, and I don't know if Jim's even in the room right now. He may have stepped out for a minute, but Chris is a fireman. Chris could verify this. Um, but firemen come along, and they, they make use of fire hydrants, right? And they come along. Is it a giant plier? Is that, is that how you get that thing off, Chris? How do you do it? Special wrench, okay? See, none of us can do it. It's, you have to be trained. So that's why we have Chris. So Chris comes along, and if you think about it, it's pretty cool because a, a, a fireman coming along to a fire hydrant, all of a sudden it kind of unlocks the, its, its purpose and its potential, right? You see a fireman come, you're like, whoa, it's kind of impressive now once a fireman gets his hands on it. The water that comes from a fire hydrant, I want you to think of it this morning as love. Now, I want you to think about this for one second. Love flows through the fire hydrant to bless other people. 
gifts to other people, to put a fire out. I've seen this. I don't know where they do this. I want in on it. But somewhere in cities, they open them up and kids get to play in them. I want to go do that someday. That just looks super fun. I throw my children in front of it and watch them fly away. Um, But bottom line is the water that comes out of it just blesses people, right? Catch this. The water that flows through a fire hydrant is unseen, and it comes from somewhere somewhere else, right? And it's this, it's this flow that until we turn it off, it's just there. It's beyond the fire hydrant. I was, reminded, I was reminded about the fact that the source of love is really important. This morning, two things I'm really going to touch on. The quality of our love and the source of our love. And I want to first kind of tackle the source of our love. I was reminded this week, um, Friday, in fact, coming home from work, that the source is, is really, really important. Um, I was met by a rather large group of children um, looking like they were up to no good. And as I pull my Jeep in on a regular basis, this is the norm. So this didn't concern me one bit. I pulled up to my house. There's a bunch of children around, neighborhood kids, our kids. I can't even tell them apart anymore, but they're all there. Here's the thing that concerned me, though. They were asking for a fight, literally. They were there, and the second I pulled up, they were asking for a fight, a water fight. Calm down. It's okay. Some of you look really worried, like, wow, sounds bad. Um, so, so I, of course, obliged, uh, and, and right away sides were drawn up, and it was decided that five against one seemed really, really fair. And as you might have guessed, I was the one. And so uh, I was, I'll get to that, Curran. Uh, Curran's already wanting to dispute the facts of this story. So, uh, so I went in and I changed. I thought it prudent to change out of my work clothes. And although sometimes my work clothes don't look that much different than my swimsuit, um, I'll be honest. But I went in and changed. And uh, wisely, I, I had my daughter, Briley, I think in her soul, she just couldn't fight against her dad, even in a water fight. So she came over onto my team. Now, here's what was divvied up, okay? Um, on one side, you had a team that had two super soakers, four buckets, two water pistols, and a huge water container that held water this big, okay, standing by them. Not only that, but they had built a fort. They had shields. I mean, they had the whole nine yard, okay? On the other team, mind you, they had more people than us. At this point, they had four people to my two. Now, on my team, I had my trusty shark's cup, okay? I mean, look at this thing. How much water does that really hold, right? And I only had one other thing, but it was the hose. Now... Now, this is what I'm reminded on a constant basis. It's a great thing to be an adult because you can see farther than your kids can. And so um, when, when it was tossed out, I said, mm, this seems a little unfair, but okay. <laughs> so uh, we started to go for our water fight, and um, we had a little hard time telling who won because we were all drenched by the end. But bottom line is, Um, It was only a matter of time that I had to wear them down, and I knew that their little water bucket was getting depleted every moment. Mine wasn't going anywhere. (laughs) And so, so, um, really, I had the upper hand. Source is important, isn't it? I want you to fill out this first first blank this morning that um, tapping into God, the Spirit, as the source of your love is what this passage is talking about. We cannot separate this command, love one another, from what was just talked about. Abide in me. Remember the grapes? I ate grapes this week and I thought about last week's message. Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. 
So this idea of a command is imperative. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Wouldn't you agree that making this command but not providing the, uh, the resources to pull it off would not make Jesus a very good shepherd? If I commanded my kid today to dismantle my car and put it back together, I wouldn't be considered a good father, right? Unless he was like a boy genius and I gave him the manual and a lot of tools and I knew he could do it. Well, Jesus here is commanding us, love one another. It's not optional. It's not when you feel like it. It's very clearly a command. But he's also given us the how and he's given us the capacity. Uh, Romans 5, 5, I think I have this in your notes. But Romans 5, 5 says this, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. John seven thirty eight. whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. That's Jesus talking, promising this future spirit that's going to be given. And then John adds this commentary. By this, he meant the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so it's you with a hose in your hand. You turn it on and you're good. Just keep squeezing the little trigger. Love's going to keep, keep pouring out. That's the idea that's being given here. Back to John chapter 15 for a moment. Progression is important. The idea of John 15 is love Christ, abide in Christ. Then he goes on to relating to believers. Then love one another. Start to figure out love between one another as a family. Then I want you to testify and be my witnesses to the world. That progression is there. This works on many levels. Think about it on a personal level. There are some that would tell you this that you need to spend all kinds of time working on yourself and really loving yourself before you can help anyone else. And there's a part of all of us that really thinks, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's a problem with it, though. It's not biblical. Because at what point do I stop needing to work on myself? At what point am I thoroughly happy with myself where I'm like, Check, I'm perfect. Now, anyone else need some loving? <laughs> Whoops, I'm dead. You know, it's like, I mean, it's, it's not biblical. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, love God. Abide in Christ. Then that will enable you to love other people well. As you as a community grow, it will enable you to let that spill over into and onto other people. This works on a personal level. It works as a family level. If you as a family stop at the second point, I'm loving God well as an individual. We are loving God well as a family. But then it all becomes family time, family vacation, family plays, family this, family that. You know what happens to families that are all inward? Eventually they start to bite and devour one another. It happens in our biological families and it happens in our church families. And here's why. We're not fulfilled with one another. I can't think of a better thing in my day, for the most part, than sitting around my table and eating dinner with my family. I love it. However, that sitting around my table as a family, if that was my pinnacle, I would feel unfulfilled, frustrated, and I would take it out on my family because they aren't meeting every need I have. 
It's got to spill out and pour out to other people. This works nationally. Israel, God loved them, chose them, blessed them, gave them grace through no deserving of their own. He tells them, here's how you function as a community. Love each other really well. Here's the rules of how to function as a family. Then he says this, I blessed you as a nation so that you might be a blessing to the nations, plural. He never meant to say, I'm going to save you, Israel, and it's all about you. He said, no, through you is going to be a blessing that's going to extend to the whole world. We just sang this song, God of Nations. And I love it because it's this picture that God from the outset had of blessing all the nations. This works as a church as well. God is the source not only means that he's the origin of our loving one another, but it also means he's the ongoing supplier. Look at the middle part of this, of this verse, John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants, Jesus says, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Who's the supplier of our bearing fruit? We talked about it last week. It's not that little grape or that branch, right? It's, it's somewhere deeper. God's supplying that for us. He's the source. He says, fruit that will last, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. As you and I get to know Jesus, we can't help it. We get to know the Father. So as we get to know who Jesus is, we get to know who the Father is. And when we act on what we know, we call it obedience. Look at verse 14 in your Bible for a minute. It says, you are my friend's qualifier if you do what I command. The word's obedience. And we talked a few weeks ago about how obedience and loving one another is used interchangeably as John writes. Go read 1 John tonight. You will see this time and again in the same breath. He'll say, obey and love and use those almost interchangeably. I want you to heed the picture from last week. Remember the picture of the dead branch? Ben had two pictures. One was of... Uh, of a, a palm tree, and it was alive, and it was bearing fruit. The other one was this old dead branch sitting on a beach. I want you to not lose that image too quickly, because going it alone, feeling convicted today to go, man, this really is a priority, I really should love one another, is being that branch. It's being the kids in the water fight. You'll go for a while. You'll tire yourself out. But guess what? Pretty soon, <laughs> take that giant bite. It's empty. And you'll feel burned out. You'll feel frustrated. You'll wonder what's wrong. And it will all turn sour. If you're like me, you need this reminder this morning as much as anyone else. It's an ongoing reminder that God is our source for this. Now, I want to just ask this question. What, what's pouring out of our life? What kind of love are we talking about here? I think it's important to qualify this because the scriptures qualify this. It must be more than mere sentiment or being nice or being friendly. Should Christians be all those things? Absolutely. But my top pinnacle isn't to raise the nicest, friendliest, most polite kid. That's not the absolute pinnacle of what I'm about. I'm wanting to raise a kid who's holy. I'm wanting to raise a kid who's Christ-like. 
John 13, 35, it's a passage, and it says, By this, all men will know you're my disciples. By this, all men will know you're my disciples. It's talking about being a witness, one who testifies to the goodness of God. What is the this? It goes on, if you love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So there's a certain aspect that the quality that we love each other is going to be a witness. Now, I just want to ask you a question for a second. How many of you, don't raise your hand. I want you to think on this for a second, though. How many of you have thought in your head, if I'm really polite, if I'm really friendly, if I'm really giving, if I'm extra patient, people will come and want to know about Jesus because of my life and how it's, and how it's going. I don't want you to raise your hand. I want you to think about that. Have you thought that way before? And let me ask a follow-up question. How is it going with that? How many people are rushing up to you wanting to find out why your life is so incredibly different? Why you're so polite? Why you're so friendly? Now, I know that there are exceptions to this rule. I know that some of you would say, my Uncle Joe got saved because of my politeness. But here's my hunch. My hunch is... This love we're talking about is way deeper than that. Here's why. Listen to Luke 6.32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? This is Jesus talking, teaching us about love. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good deeds to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those who, uh, from whom you expect a repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. And then he drops this bomb. He says, but you love your enemies. And then he goes on to talking about what it looks like to love your enemies. My hunch is this. You and I, being super polite to the barista at Starbucks, and always remembering to say thank you and even smile at them and look them in the eyes, I think that's vastly important. And I do that. But I can't think of a single time someone's looked at me back and said, you must be a Christian. Does God love me and have a wonderful plan for my life? And I go, why, yes, actually he does. And I pull out my track. I've never had that happen. Because, you see, the barista's being good to me, right? They're giving me coffee. I'm being good to them. I'm paying them. I'm no different than anyone else. In fact, there's a chance that non-Christians are even more polite sometimes than Christians are. It's a little bit like a fire hydrant saying this, I'm going to let everyone know that I'm a fire hydrant that can produce lots and lots of water. I'm going to stand perfectly still. And there they sit for hours and days on end. There's nothing spectacular in that. Every fire hydrant ever made sits perfectly still that I've seen. It just sits there. That's all it does, in fact. I'll tell you what's really impressive is when that fire hydrant starts to just gush water and the other fire hydrants go, whoa, something else made that happen because we've never had that happen to us. We just sit here. Our being polite, our being friendly, our being super nice is us being the fire hydrant that sits there. There's nothing overly supernatural about that. The second that you forgive someone who's wronged you, the second that you bless those who curse you, 
The second that you stop slandering your boss and your coworkers, and instead you befriend them and pray for them and love on them, that's when people look and say, you should be taking vengeance right now. What's wrong with you? And when you go through a trial and you see, instead of lashing out in, in your pain to other people, you're actually giving still. People go, what is wrong with you? I would venture to say that there's an excellence and a depth and a duration of love that's, that's supernatural. And when that happens, people, people take notice of that. Jesus said it this way in our verse today. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. That's the critical part. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Number two that I want to talk about is to mimic the quality of the love of Jesus. Jesus put on display for us a certain excellence. And it frustrated those who were his enemies because it was supernatural. They'd never seen anything like it. He models it for us so that we can mimic what Jesus did. I would just stress the importance of constantly being in the Gospels. Because every conversation that you see with Jesus and another person informs you of the kinds of attitudes and thoughts and values and priorities that you should be having with people. The way that Jesus spent his time is the way that you and I, as little Christ ones, should be spending our time. The things that Jesus avoided and wasn't around and didn't get into debate about, we should steer clear of those things. And shouldn't we also mimic him in his love? Well, what kind of love was it? He says it plainly. Greater love is no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Hours from now, he's going to physically do that. He's saying this with a, with a depth and a certainty that probably caught their attention. And probably stayed with them for a really long time. If anyone in here has loved before, you would agree with the statement that love makes you do absolutely crazy things. It does crazy things to your physical body. It does crazy things to your spending habits. People go crazy like on Valentine's Day. It does crazy things to your actions and to your emotions. I thought about Jesus doing crazy things. I think Jesus did crazy things because of love. And not the least of which was the way in which he chose to love us best, and that was to die on a cross. Become obedient to death, death on a cross. What he's saying here, the message is this, go and do the same thing I'm doing. You see me laying my life down, you go lay your life down. Now, I thought about how to talk about this, and there's all kinds of categories in the Bible, but especially as um, a guy growing up with three brothers, I pay attention to brotherly love in the Bible. I pay attention to the stories that are in there. And what I love about the Bible is that it's unflinching in its honesty everywhere. But think about its, its unflinching honesty with regard to brothers. It starts really early on with Cain and Abel, right? And in case you don't know the story there, we have one brother killing the other brother. And really, it doesn't go uphill from there. There's a lot of problems I thought about Joseph and his brothers. I thought about Jesus and his brothers. On and on, what we see is pain and rejection and turmoil and, yes, murder. You know what we also see in the Bible about brothers, though? 
We see mercy. We see forgiveness. We even see heroic sacrifice, brother to brother. By the way, both of those things exist in the same exact house. And I can give testimony to that growing up, and I can give testimony to that this morning. Those both exist in the same house. Frustration and joy. I think the reason it's hard to love brothers and sisters, if you're in here, you can translate that for sisters as well. I just don't know because I didn't have any sisters. But it's that it's so constant, isn't it? It's so daily to love your brother. The hardest person for me probably was to love my younger brother. I was number three of four. So I had two beating on me, and I beat on the younger one. No, I'm kidding. Um, But you know what's really hard is to serve my younger brother. It was really, really difficult to serve him. And as I began to grow and to mature, when I would see that happen, I would recognize my own life. Man, that's not even coming from me because my flesh wants to win every time against my younger brother. But it's so daily and so constant that we know we need God's help in this. What does loving one another look like? I think you know it when you see it. Let me just direct your attention to 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. So here we are. We're given the opportunity to know, sounds like beyond the shadow of a doubt, what love is. Here it is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. John wrote this much later in the gospel. It's still ringing through his mind. This is what love is. We know it. We saw it. I was there. This is an eyewitness writing this. He says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now, that could make it onto a hallmark, couldn't it? That sounds so ethereal and so nice. It also sounds really hypothetical. We ought to lay down our lives for each other, and everyone says, Amen. But here's where it's more than mere sentiment. It's more than just kind of nice-sounding, pithy sayings. He goes on to say this, next breath, verse 17, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know we belong to the truth. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but this sounds like a salvation issue to me. He says elsewhere in 1 John, how can you say that you love God whom you can't see when you can't even love the person that you can see? Love your brothers. Love one another. I mean, this is a vastly important command. I think I just know this when I see it. We had a a death in our family this week. And um, this is little Oreo. And uh, Oreo probably lived about two and a half years or so. And um, we had the, the misfortune of having Oreo pass away uh, this week. And um, it was a sad day. Oreo's a good little rat. There's good rats and bad rats, by the way. Watch Ratatouille. Uh, Oreo was one of those kinds of rats, not the bad rat kind. Um, here was the exciting thing is that um, when the kids got home and received the news that it was sad and there was you know, mourning going on for little Oreo... And um, our son Ethan went to his room right away, and he came walking back with his rat. And he went up to Curran. Curran owned Oreo, and Ethan owned Snowball, and they got them together when they were six weeks old. The rats, not the kids. And uh, I was like, what a weird family. (laughs) 
here, here's a rat. You're six weeks old now. It's a tradition. Um, so they both got their rats on the same day. And Ethan comes walking up to Curran. And, um, and he says, this snowball now has two owners. And he said, she's as much yours as, as she is mine. And I'll tell you as a father, there's few things on, in life that thrill me more than when I see my kids share like that. And I think our Heavenly Father, when He sees us getting this right, it must put a smile on His face and say, yes, that's what loving one another is all about. Unprompted, flowing from within, manifested in actual action, not just, oh, I'm going to lay my life down for you, brother. See ya. But rather saying, you know what? I have goods that I'd like to share with you. Here's my question for us. Who's your brother? Jesus asked another poignant question. Who's your neighbor? Find out who God is in love with. And that's your answer. Go be your brother's keeper. Go love your neighbor and love them well. The importance of the one another's in Scripture is absolutely huge. In fact, Romans 13.8 says this. This is what our kind of capital campaign is named after. Let no debt, of, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt of love to one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. With streams of living water spilling out of us and the ongoing model that we have of Jesus, love is possible. Even between two people with completely different backgrounds. Think about Galatians 6. Wondering, some of you are, some of you are awake. You had your coffee this morning. Think about, um, think about this. Where do I start with this? Remember the progression that I started with, being abiding in Christ, loving one another, and then testifying and loving the world? Here's where you start, Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. There's our, there's our canvas. But especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Start at home. Don't go be a hero to people at work and meeting all the needs outside your home and not ministering to those in your very own house. It says elsewhere in Scripture, those who do that have denied the faith. They're worse than an unbeliever in that. Love well at home. Love your family well. That's actually where it's hardest and most needed often. I had someone say something remarkably profound last Sunday. I was trying to watch about a thousand kids on a jump house, so my brain was all over the place. But someone walked up to me. I was holding Cassie. This isn't from that day, but I was holding Cassie up like this. And this woman walked up to me and she said, I see the family resemblance. And I thought, that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> She's adopted. <laughs> I didn't know she got it. And then she said this, it's love. It's love. And I thought, that's, that's beautiful. I didn't even catch it until like a couple days later. But I thought, wouldn't that be cool if us in this room, from all over the world and map and backgrounds and likes and dislikes, what if the family resemblance that people caught here was 
There's something freaky about those people, and I love it. It's love. I see it written on all their faces. When I walk in there, it's just different. Do you see how that now starts to be a real witness of what our God is like? Do you see how that's way different than being polite or nice or simply friendly? That's the kind of family resemblance that we ought to have. There are so many one another's in Scripture, I won't have time to read them all. But when you find a one another, there is your roadmap for how to start loving on people. Here are some of them. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. That's written about six or seven times. In honor, prefer one another. Don't judge one another. Receive one another. uh, uh, Greet one another. Serve one another. Do not provoke one another or envy one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forbear one another in love. Forgive one another. Teach and admonish one another with song. Comfort one another, edify one another, exhort one another. Consider one another how you might provoke them to love and good deeds. That's a partial list. You know where a greenhouse of growth for this is? It's in our community groups. It's when you and I take this larger gathering and break it down into smaller groups and start to serve one another. By the way, this also happens in an extended rate of growth when you go a week in Mexico together. Because by about day four, you're starting to smell each other's body odor and you're starting to get on each other's nerves and that's where you start to bear one another's burdens. That's where you start to overlook offenses. That's where you're forced beyond being polite. Hi, how are you doing? I can't stand this person. See you next week. You can't do that when you're in Mexico for a week. You can't do that in a community group for long if we're doing it right. I want to invite the band up right now, and we're going to close with a song. But I absolutely loved the timing of this and how it worked that this particular Sunday of loving one another fell on Mother's Day. Because as I think about moms, moms embody the one another's. I don't want to idolize moms and think that moms are, you know, the second embodiment of Christ or something like that. Moms fail and are weak and need the same source that the rest of us do. But do you know why the big buff biker guy has mom heart tattoo on his arm? It's because she was patient like no one else. She would turn aside from her chore, her idea, her will, and help like no one else in life. When someone's on TV, how many times do they go, Hi, Dad. No, it's always, Hi, Mom. I don't know why that is. I'm a little offended. But moms have something unique about them. It's amazing. And how great it is that we talked about the one another's here on Mom's Day. Now, I don't normally do this, but I wrote a prayer out today specifically kind of for moms and for us in this room who are wanting and needing to grow into one another's. And uh, so I just ask you to pray with me as we close. Father, thanks so much for moms. The love that they show us, the way that they gave us life at great personal suffering, And the devotion they display call to mind all that you are to us. 
I ask that each mom here would become or stay tied into the source of love. That they'd abide in you, Jesus, so they can do their job well. Spirit, we know that today isn't easy for many. Would you comfort women who long to be moms right now, but for some reason or another are unable? Would you heal the hurt of those who've experienced miscarriages? Today we acknowledge and we thank you for those precious lives. God, would you please let those who in this room may have had an abortion run into your arms. Today, we know that grace is real and forgiveness possible. Redeem the wasted years as only you can. Would you forgive us the anxiety, the frustration, and anger that come from unfulfilled dreams? This morning, we give those dreams to you afresh. And finally, God, I pray for each future mom that is in this building today. We ask that you'd bless them with people that would nurture their inner beauty. Guard them from the thief and the liar who whispers lies and tries to cloud the undeniable stamp of splendor that you've freely given to each and every female. God, would you help us men to serve, to love, and to lead well, living lives marked by understanding and sacrifice just the way you showed us. We praise you for the gift of today. Amen.